Amen. Thank the Lord. I have had the privilege of working with uh, Pastor Paul and Kim and their family for nearly 15 plus years, I suppose, and uh, have taken hundreds of students to Roatan and uh, also into San Pedro Sula in Honduras. And uh, incredibly thankful that you get a chance to have my friends here to serve you. And so I'm praying that God would be uh, very gracious and very um, helpful for you guys in that regard. He did say that I have I'm older. One of the things he didn't say that is my real claim to fame is my wife and I are now Papa and Grana. And so we are incredibly grateful for that. Yeah, that would be awesome. Just to clap for whatever reason. I guess if you live this long and you're a Papa and a Grana, you get to be clapped for. I don't know. But uh, uh, Everly Grace is my grandbaby's name, my first grandbaby. We hope to have a quiver full of those down the road between our three sons and their three lovely wives. And so we are thankful. Um, I say this not for any boastful reason. I say this because I want you to understand the, the significance of, of what I get a chance to experience and feel from time to time. I've been fortunate to be in five continents and 28 countries uh, to share the word in my life. And I have been opportunity to see from multiple, multiple um, um, languages and tribes and cultures and and groups of people, um, hungry people, that would be intentional in their approach for God. And I've also had opportunities to see where how easy it is that complacency will seep into our life and bring us to a place of um, content when I'm not sure the Bible ever leaves a place for us to be content. I think it lends for us the responsibility to be in pursuit on a regular basis for God. So I say that to you today to say in the next few minutes, I am hopeful that you will be open to uh, pursuing with God what he's going to do. Would you stand with me with your Bibles really quick for just a minute? And you're going to see a video on the screen. You won't hear any volume from it while I'm reading this, but I want you just to, uh, to just take your Bible and go to Nehemiah chapter 1 with me. I'm going to read a couple of passages there, then I'll go over to Luke 2 and 52. Is that ready, Billy? Can we do that right there? I want you to see this. As I read, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse um, 3 and 4. They replied, the, the survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before God of heaven. Chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Now Jerusalem lives in ruins with its gates burned. Go to Luke 2 and 52 as we ground this scripture in the New Testament for just a moment. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Father, in the next few minutes, would you please open heaven? Now, I don't know these people, Lord. I don't really know what's on our agendas and what's next for all of us. I don't really have a clue where we have come from or, Lord, what weight might be pressing on or what faith might be brewing within. But what I am certain of is if we will meet with you today, you will take care of the lack in our life that others might, in fact, know and be redeemed themselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
You may be seated. I'll remain standing, and uh, you guys can take a seat for a little while. But uh, the other problem that you have this morning is I traveled further than probably any of you, and if I did not, if some of you traveled longer than I did to get here, that's great. That means you really believe in this church and these people, and I encourage you to keep doing that. Um, but also, yeah, thank you. I need that right there. That's helpful. Thank you much. Appreciate it. <laughs> I like brooms. You like brooms? I like brooms. Thank you very much. So, it's a nice broom. That'll probably pick up whatever needs to be picked up, eh? At least it'll make it loose so that it can be picked up another way. But, let's go back to what we were talking about. Um, so, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've come from. But I do want you to understand that I believe today that God is a God that when we are really, really willing to be changed, He will do so. Now, the other problem you have is I have no idea what time you're accustomed to getting out of here. So that's great for me because I don't really have a clue, all right? So I can stick around for a while. Um, my family's traveling today to visit other family members, and so unfortunately my wife's not able to be with me today. But I, uh, I don't preach for the length of time just for to be heard, but I need today to let you hear what I believe God is saying to all of us. You might know this particular book in the Bible, Nehemiah. You might understand the history from Ezra and Nehemiah where that the children of Israel had been in captivity and the exile from captivity, but the city of Judea, the city of Jerusalem had been placed in ruins after much of the destruction from the enemy. Now, I, I want you to understand a word this morning that I think we are not really paying attention to in the world today. It's a word called chaos, C-H-A-O-S. If you look around you, if you happen to catch the news this morning or you catch the news tonight, we are living in a culture of chaos. Chaos is defined as a lack of order. So wherever there is a lack of order, there's the perspective of chaos. Chaos is really a term that defines if you are a scientist in this room or some kind of like, as my friend Wes would say, super smart, that's not me, right? But super smart people, you would understand that anytime you dump a bunch of energy into a system, it creates chaos. Imagine your car. You go out, you take your ignition to your car, you turn the ignition, you crank the car. All of the energy that's dumped into that engine is chaos. But as soon as that begins to get the message from the ignition to the engine, and all of a sudden that chaos begins to align itself in order, that engine cranks enables you to move that car one step further down the road. I believe today, for this particular church and every other kingdom house on this face of this earth, God is saying you and I need to be willing to be positioned in the place of chaos in a sense of kingdom order so that we might be able to move this mission down the road where God is changing people's lives. So, in that perspective, I want to talk about Ezra and Nehemiah this morning so that we can better understand what I think God might be doing and calling us to. Ezra was the picture of the temple being rebuilt. After the exile, after the captivity, after the bondage, after everything laying in a place imaginable, maybe something like this. I don't know where Nehemiah's wall was. I, I know where it was. I don't, I've never been there. I don't know what it was like. This is kind of an image in my mind that I think maybe it was like because as you look at the gate which was burned and you look inside of the city wall, all you see is ruins. 
but the temple had been rebuilt by Ezra. But Nehemiah was called to rebuild the city. I want you to hear me this morning. What I think God is doing, he's calling every one of us to rebuild the city in which we live in that could be considered as our own personal home, as our own family, as our own neighborhood, as our own community, as Alcoa, Maryville, Townsend, Knoxville, anywhere and everywhere that we have connectivity, God is calling us to rebuild this city. Do you agree? Amen. So in this picture in Nehemiah, what we're seeing is this guy has this encounter with some couriers or some messengers that run to him and say, your homeland has been destroyed. I don't know if you've ever lived through a fire or a disaster, a tornado or any of all. Maybe a flood, I don't know. My wife and I, in 2011, our family, we experienced a terrible um, EF4 tornado that came through our neighborhood. Basically took our house on the inside, left the shell on the outside, and blew it all the back of the house off. Now, that's kind of, you know, a rough day. It's probably not an easy day. It just kind of brings a whole lot of chaos, a lot of disruption to our life. We rebuilt everything as well. Had no loss of lives in our family. Very close for my wife and her mom and her sister and her nieces because as they were diving into the bathroom, five of them, the, the tornado came through her mom's house and literally blew, blew through um, one of the back rooms of the house. Here they were in this bathroom. Here's the back room of the house that the tornado flew through. What are you saying, William? I'm telling you guys, there is a spiritual chaos going on in the world today and a destruction behind the gates that we were called to as a place of protection, but yet they were destroyed on the inside. Back in Nehemiah's day, the gate was intentional for two purposes. Number one, to protect the inside from the influence of the enemy on the outside. Understand today, there is a gate of our soul. There is a gate of our mind. There are gates of our hearts. There are gates of our life, G-A-T-E-S, that are places that are to protect the enemy's access to us. However, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm aware that in our world in which we're living in, there's a lot of stuff that's happened to many of us, and as a result of that, we lay in a sense of ruins. This was Nehemiah's perspective. This was Nehemiah's awareness. This is where Nehemiah was. He was looking at his city, and there was destruction all around. Then information came to Nehemiah. The information that came to him that his city was in ruins. Everybody was desolate. It was a terrible, terrible place. And the scripture I read first in Nehemiah chapter 1 was very clear. When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. Once you look on the screen, there's a slide coming up with the word weep. It's very clear. I want you to grab a hold this morning of the necessity and the strength and the power in the presence of weeping in the presence of God. Now, please hear me. I'm not about some kind of spiritual calisthenics. I, I'm, I'm, I'm historically Pentecostal all my life, and I am currently Pentecostal, unashamed, thankful, and dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm even unapologetic when it comes to Pentecostalism. But the problem with Pentecostalism is we can lose the reality of the influence because the experience becomes our point of what we think as growth and development. 
That's never been the intention. Your supernatural experience of Pentecostal in, in, in engagement is not just to put you on some kind of pedestal. Nor I. It is to place us in a position where we can be in tune with the Godhead of heaven, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to encounter a moving of His Spirit within us. <laughs> I remember my boys, each of them, when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember particularly my youngest one, who was six years old, quite frustrated because he had not had the experience that his two older brothers had. And I remember one day we were in Fort Worth, Texas, my family, we were at a conference, we were in a hotel room, and all of a sudden, my son in that hotel room at six years of age, he's now 27 years old, he is 25 years old, he said to us, I want what my brothers have. <laughs> he didn't understand the power of the Holy Spirit, he just knew that his brothers had something different. I'm here to tell you, we need to awaken our lives to the reality that we should have something different in us that others within the burned city might be able to see. The other problem I have today that you have with me, I have no idea why preachers spit or yell. I am not mad at you. It's just the energy inside of me. Forgive me for that. I remember that morning, that morning actually as my son there in that hotel room, we as a family gathered around, began to pray for Benjamin. And all of a sudden, like a wind, the Holy Spirit blew into that hotel room. And my son experienced the, the indoctrination, the indwelling, the infilling, the expressing of the Holy Spirit with language, with tongues. And over the years, I've told my children, the tongues is probably the most visible, but yet the most insignificant part of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss what I'm telling you. It's very significant, but we shouldn't maximize our mindset on the tongue experience because the tongue is actually working in kind of a tandem relationship with God where we as humanity give over to deity and deity consumes us not so we can feel good about ourselves, but that we can be propelled into the world of chaos. Oh, I hope you catch that. Hope you understand my, my, my sense here is that God wants you, this church, at this junction in your life to become people who weep for the lost around them. You hear me? That's good. You said they're coming home. I have no idea what you're talking about, but apparently a lot of the people in this room understand what you're talking about. When I was driving over here today, there was this impression in my spirit that I would ask you, how many of you know somebody who is laying in ruin and lost and they need a redemptive power of God in their life? Just put your hand up. Look around you. Look around you. You know somebody. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're sitting with you today in this building. Maybe they're in earshot of you when you leave here. Oh, God, help us right now. I'm telling you what was happening in Nehemiah's life. He was experiencing the brokenness of his city, of his homeland, while he was living in the safety of the palace of the king. Some of you have the security of the king. And God's saying, don't become comfortable with the world of the king. Focus on the reality of being a messenger to the brokenness in the city. Yeah, 
That's not a vow to sell everything you own. That's a vow to say, even though God might have positioned me in a place of divine favor, God is also calling me to a place of brokenness so that I might be able to fight the fight for the city and rebuild the walls from the inside, from within inside. Nehemiah's job was a cupbearer. Cupbearer's job in that day was very dangerous, but very good. In that day, unlike what I would recommend you do today, he was a taster of the wine. Don't go home and say the preacher said, I can taste wine today. That's another whole day, man. I'm not even going to get involved in that. I'm here to tell you what Nehemiah's job was to test the wine before the king drank it to make sure it had not been poisoned and he would not die. <laughs> That's a very important place. Why? Because the risk factor is at any time Nehemiah would sip the wine, he had potentially could lose his life. But because he was one who the king trusted and he was one who would drink that wine before the king would do to make sure that it was okay to be taken, it gave him divine favor with the king. Now the king, because of his favor, that he had placed upon Nehemiah and the relationship between Nehemiah and the king, when Nehemiah heard the news of his desolate place in his past and came in the presence of the king, the king noticed the demeanor change in Nehemiah. And what he said to him was, why are you sad? You're not even sick, Nehemiah. The king's observation of Nehemiah was that something was going on differently than before. And what was going on is Nehemiah was broken for the lost city of his homeland. I'm here to tell you what could happen tomorrow morning when we become very much in this encounter of God through the power of the presence of deity begins to develop within us a compassion for the lost and a weeping for our city. Wherever you go tomorrow, people are going to say, what's going on in your life? Don't be like the Pharisees and take yourself to the sink and wash down your face to appear that you're crying. Lord, no, but be the person who weeps in your closet so that when you stand in the presence of the king and you stand in the presence of opposition, you have been clothed with the power of God from the inside to say to the opposition of the world, I'm coming into your place to reclaim what the enemy has taken because it belonged to God in the first place. <sighs> Nehemiah wept over the city. In his weeping over the city, God called him to go to the, or when he went to the king, God called Nehemiah to go back to his homeland. So when the king said, what's wrong with you? Nehemiah said, my city lays in ruins. Oh, Lord, help us. What I hope today. What I pray today, what I long for in the next few minutes in this building is that you and I would come to a place that today we would say when God says what's really what you want today and you say, I want my son to come home. I want my daughter to come home. I want my nephew, my niece, my mom, my dad, my grandparents. I want those that have not yet even known the fact that they're in the desolation of a burned city. I want to redeem them. I want to catch them. I want to bring them home because of his favor. Luke 2 and 52, Jesus grew in stature and had wisdom with man and with God. And he had favor with man and with God. When you get in this encounter, as Nehemiah did, and you let God begin to rebuild with inside of you this brokenness for the world, you know what true repentance is? It's after you have repented of all your sins, you begin to repent for the sins of those around you. 
Hear me. Some of you in this room, we're very accustomed to repenting. But there comes something deeper than just the repentance of my own heart. It becomes the brokenness to pray for those who yet not have had the experience or the ability to repent for themselves. God hears the cry of a sinner, but also God hears the cry of a saint. And when the saint begins to say to the demonic power, I back you up by the power and the authority of Almighty, then at that moment something can brew within the burned city and those persons who are held in captivity can begin to experience the possibility of freedom. If you're free in your heart today, let me see you just kind of wave your hand. Oh yeah. You know what happens when you're really free in your heart? You ain't got to wave your hand. People will attract themselves to you, both good and bad. What do you need? He said, I need a little time. How much time do you need? Nehemiah gave some time to the king. He didn't say how long he needed. He just gave a time to the king. And he said, what do you need, Nehemiah? He said, I need letters of reference. I need you to give me some letters that would give me the authority on my way to Jerusalem and Judea that I might be able to talk to the keeper of the forest that I can get some wood to rebuild the city wall. Now watch this. So the king gave him a letter. God gave him a letter, several letters, and he went to the keeper of the forest, and he went to the regional governors, and he passed every place he needed to go, and he went from one city to the next city, to the next town, to the next county, to the next line, and when he got to his place, he rebuilt or began to rebuild the wall, but he also had enough wood to build himself a house. Listen to the value of this. Listen to the importance of this. Nehemiah was saying, I'm not going back to the king's place right now because I have a mission to rebuild the city and I have a commission to rebuild it on the long term. And in doing so, I've got to take up residence here. So I've got to build me a house. Some of you need to take up residence at the door of hell and you need to say, I'll stand right here in the power of God and I'll pray until the Holy Spirit sets a real fire that is consuming the demonic fire that is greater than the fire on the outside is the fire on the inside and I will consume the destruction in this world are you catching this when I say that my wife says why are you asking them that question and I say because I want to be clear in the next few minutes when I give an altar call in my heart I feel the sense today that some of us are going to be recommissioned Nehemiah had a weeping heart, and as a result of his weeping heart, he encountered the power of God and the commission to work. So number one, we weep. Number two, we work. Now, there's an interesting verse in chapter two. As Nehemiah began to make his progression to his city, he was met by three particular distinct people of opposition. If you don't have opposition, I'm not sure you've encountered the place you need to be. It ain't no rose garden, folks. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. When I went to the Marine Corps Paris Island in the early 80s, and I landed at this place called Paris Island on a bus at 2.30 in the morning, and I walked off the bus, and I thought I was in hell and felt like it for a very, very, very long time because people were yelling at me, and I ain't done nothing wrong. There was nothing I could do right, as a matter of fact. I'm telling you, the world is yelling through its demonic power at you and I, and we got to quit being afraid. we got to quit being complacent. we got to quit being saying, okay, maybe next year, maybe somebody. No! Go get them! Bring them home! Break into the city wall and redeem it from the inside out. He built himself a house because he was going to stay around for a while. People of this church, Alcoa, Maryville, 
Maryville Alcoa, whatever you call it. You know, there's two Maryville Church of Gods. My GPS wanted me to reroute another direction, but I didn't. You know why? Because I have passed this church on probably hundreds of times over the years because I've kind of done some vacation up at Cades Cove and I've come past this church a lot of times. I was by this church about two weeks ago. I saw the sign, welcome Pastor Paul and his family. So my GPS was routing me to another Maribel Church of God, but I knew the one I needed to go to because I've been past it before. I'm here to tell you, God's saying, the world would say go here, but you need to position where I know that you need to go where I have called you to go. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this place today. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Nehemiah was met with three oppositions. He was met by a guy named uh, Tobiah. He was met by another uh, person who was a person of opposition. Let me find those in chapter 2. Tobiah, he was met by another person called Sanballat, and he was met by an Arab. What are you saying? I'm simply saying to you, anytime you go to redeem, the enemy's going to go to fight against the redemption. You've got to have a willingness to work. Nehemiah went in when he landed in that city in the middle of the night. He got up. He took some people with him. He began to survey the opposition and the land. You're going to think this is preachery, but it ain't preachery. This is truth. Listen to me. You ever had a restless night? There's a couple reasons why we have restless night. Either we ate too much pizza or too much Mexican the night before. I don't know. Or there just might be the reality that God's brewing within you. And sometimes when you've got a, a night that you can't sleep, it might be that God wants you to survey the land. I'm not telling you to get in your car and drive through the city. I'm telling you to get on your knees and say, God, give me a view of the city and the desolation that I need to be able to see so that I can reclaim it in the daytime and we can rebuild it for your kingdom. Nehemiah, Tobiah, Sanballat, the Arab, they met him. They said, what are you doing? We're hearing that you're going to rebuild the wall. <laughs> they had came in opposition of him. They came to literally distract him, to destroy him. But what this guy understood, what this guy, Nehemiah, recognized above everything else, it's very clear. Chapter 1, verse 9, here's what he says, or 10. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard this, it displeased them that someone had come to seek the, the, the welfare of the people of Israel. You're going to displease the devil. I'd rather displease the devil than he be pleased with me. I'd rather displease the devil than be pleased with myself. You know, you've got this kind of innate kind of, uh, you've got this inside natural kind of uh, humanity factor inside of you that wants to pursue things for you. But I'm telling you, some of you in this room, let me just tell you what I really sense right now in my heart. Some of you in this room, you're not going to be able to see the redemption. You'll die before you'll see some of them come home. But what you're doing is you're positioning for the next generation to take over the prayer. And when the next generation begins to fuel the prayer, it might be 15 years, it might be 20 years, it might be 30 years, or it might be five minutes. It doesn't really matter the time. What matters is, are you willing to pray and stand at the city gate and say, I'm coming for you? There's a slogan among the millennials, I'm coming for you. Sometimes I say to my wife when I've been traveling, I'm coming for you. 
Some of you need to say to the people on the other side of the demonic stronghold, I'm coming for you. They may not hear you, but when you say, Father, I pray that the redemption of the work of God begins to work, and I'm willing to go as a person who is ignited by the power of the Holy Spirit and stand to the enemy and say, greater is he that is on the inside than he that is on the outside. And in the name of Jesus Christ, let go. I don't know if you've ever had to pray your kids home. I don't know if you've ever had to pray for your friends to come home. But you know what I believe? I believe that one of the next revivals, we're going to see our kids praying for the redemption of their parents. And some of those may still be in the house of the Lord. Lord, help us. Let me slow down for a minute. He was faced by the opposition. He reviewed the city wall. He secured in his heart and in his mind what he needed to do. All of that position to work began through the process of weeping. All of that call to work began first in the place to say, God, I want to redeem my heritage. You know, I think, Kim, that God's kind of taken this church to a new place. Thank God for where you have been. I have no idea where you have been or where you're going, but here's what I do know. In all the process of God positioning us forward, we got to sometimes be willing to go back and redeem what we didn't redeem before we ever get to go where we need to go. You see, Nehemiah couldn't go rebuild the city from the outside. He had to go on the inside and rebuild the city from the inside. And in doing so, he went, had a willingness to work. Nehemiah, when he was faced with the enemy, it's very interesting to me in chapter 3 or chapter 4. Let me actually go to chapter 3. I want you to catch what, what's really interesting here and what's being said. So he rebuilt the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and the gaps, note the word gaps, were beginning to be closed, chapter 4, they were very angry and all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and the cause confusion in it. So we prayed to our God, set a guard as a protection against them at night. You weep, you work, and the third last point I'm going to give you this morning is that you set a watch. Not an Apple watch on your wrist, not a Timex in your pocket, but you set a sentry at the wall of the gate of the city and you defend the access to the city. Now hear me, some of you need to go home and you need to be willing to reclaim the redemptive work over the portal of your house. In this process of Nehemiah, what was happening was very clear. He had a, a burden for the city. He did a survey of the land. The people said, let's rebuild the city. He began the rebuilding process. Incidentally, that took 52 days. They even told him, the wall that you build, when a little fox lands on top of the wall, the wall is going to be so subjected to the power of this little innocent fox that that wall is going to fall down. 
The enemy is going to put a spirit of fear in you when you begin to combat the stronghold of the enemy. Don't be afraid of what you can't see for God has already brought it to fruition before you got there if you go in His name. Old Testament, kings defeating kings. There's one encounter that's pretty interesting. And all of a sudden, that enemy, there's a great psalm by Rita Springer called Defender. And all of a sudden, God went before the king, took the head of the enemy, and brought it into that camp and said, I've already defeated, and I'm going to give you the benefit of the defeat. They opposed Nehemiah. Nehemiah began to build the city. And all of a sudden, what's really amazing to me in that process, as they begin to build that city, there was this, this, this encounter that they had with the enemy that was so strong that when they begin to encounter the enemy, the, uh, the, the, the workers of the wall had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. I don't know if you're a bricklayer or not. But bricklayers are pretty amazing people. They can take a whole lot of looking chaos and build a wall. Whoever put that brick up there, you know, that they, I don't, if, if, they, uh, if that's not the face kind, there's actually mortar in between. I don't know. Maybe I might be calling out now. Might be, I don't know what it is. No, there's got mortar in there. Whoever put the brick up there, right, they put a little mortar and they begin to close the little gap. Some of you might just have a minute gap in your, in your place. Just a small gap. But that small gap is not closed up. The enemy will begin to weave his way in. And when that small gap is not closed up, that wall will begin to fall. And all of a sudden, you're going to see the image of what Nehemiah saw. And he saw a desolate, broken down wall and a burned gate. But then something happened. Nehemiah, 12 years, stayed as the governor. 12 years, stayed as the governor. Because he had came from the kinship. He was not even a preacher. He was a governor. He was a political official. He stayed as a governor. The, the, the celebration that took place after the 52 days of rebuilding the wall was quite interesting because it included everybody, children, parents, grandparents, all people within the city came to the celebratory dance or the celebration of the rebuilding of the wall. Another interesting fact, as they rebuilt that wall, they were called to go back to the gate closest to their home to rebuild it. So he didn't send them to the other side of town to rebuild the wall. He told them to rebuild the wall and the, and the gate, which has access to your home. Go look it up. This would be a good, good Sunday afternoon reading. Sunday afternoon reading is pretty fun, man. You put that Bible on your chest, you lay on that couch with that Afghan, and you watch whatever sports are on TV, right? I don't know. You need to put it on your head, and osmosis takes place, and all of a sudden it starts getting into your mind. I don't know. But here's what I know. Go read Nehemiah. It's only 13 chapters. It ain't going to take you six years. Go read Nehemiah. Look at what's going on in our city today. We've got to become Nehemiahs who will stand in the gap and rebuild it from the inside to say to the enemy, I will not allow you here anymore. He said to Sanballat. He said to Tobiah. He said to all of them. He said, you have... No, look at this, chapter 2 is very interesting. Chapter 2, verse 20. Then he replied to them, meaning Nehemiah replied to the opposition forces, the God of heaven is the one who will give us success, and we, his servants, going to start building. But you have, to note to, 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 to Tobiah, to the Ammonites, he said to them, you have no share, 
no claim, and no historic right in Jerusalem. Some of you need to say to the enemy, you have no claim. You never had heritage here. Now, some of you might get a chance to go with Paul and Kim to Honduras one day. I don't know. But if you ever get to a place down in San Pedro called the Bordo, you're going to see a whole lot of wires connected up one pole. They're basically stealing electricity from somebody else. That's okay. It's not okay, but that's what they're doing, right? They're just scabbing that electricity. They're trying to have all the electricity they can get. I'm not going to argue with that. Another interesting point to me is that they begin to kind of take a claim of a piece of property that wasn't really theirs. Close enough to be said, right? They get that piece of property that's not really theirs, and they inhabit that place. That was kind of what Tobiah had done. They had inhabited a place that wasn't theirs. The enemy will inhabit in your life what is not his if you let him do so. You need to say, my child is not yours, devil. He said, you have no right here. You have no heritage here. Let me give it to you exactly how I said it. Real interesting. He said, you have no share. My, my, my resources you don't have access to. You don't have any claim of this property to give to the next generation. And you don't have any heritage from the past generation. You tracking with me? We need to say to the demonic forces this morning, you don't have a past, you don't have a present, and you don't have a future with my family because you don't belong here. After 12 years, Tobiah went back to the king's place. And in his process of going back to the king's place, something interesting happened in Jerusalem. There was a chapter 13. I'll kind of give you the spoiler alert if you're into movies. It's kind of like, this is the spoiler. No reason to go watch the movie. There's a lot still in this chapter. You still need to go read chapter 1 through 13. Chapter 13, and some of the sons of, Je of Jodiah, son of the high priest Elisha, was the son-in-law of Sanballat. Some of you might be connected to the enemy, but you still don't need to belong to him. You might be the only person redeemed in your family. Elisha, which was a priest, which what Nehemiah had set up was in the temple within the city that had been rebuilt was a room that held all of the temple worship stuff, a room that was a sacred room for the priest to be able to utilize. But Elisha gave access to that room to a son-in-law of his, which was related to Sanballat. Now Sanballat, in the very beginning, was the enemy who first showed up to tell Nehemiah, no reason for you to rebuild. Watch this. Elisha, the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. I chased him away from me, Nehemiah said. Remember them, O God, because they have defiled the priesthood, the covenant of the priests and the Levites. Then he said, I cleanse the temple. One version said, I swept the temple. Basically, I went to that house that the enemy had taken claim of that didn't belong to him. And I walked into that room and I began to sweep the temple and to cleanse it from the inside to the outside to get rid of the dust and the furniture and all of the spirits and the strongholds of the enemy. Some of you need to go home and you need to sweep. 
that house and cleanse that room. And some of you need to do that on the inside and say the enemy who had a resonance at one point no longer has a resonance in my life right now because there is something going on on the inside that's taking place that's going to be redeemed. So it's going to be revealed on the outside. Nehemiah, in one passage, he was so distraught with the enemy, it said that he literally went and pulled the hair out of the head of the opposers. I don't recommend that you go to work tomorrow and pull the hair out of the head of the person who's getting on your nerves. The preacher said, I could do that. It was William, not Pastor Paul. Make sure you make that clear. No. But in the spirit realm... You can say you have no access, no share, no authority, no heritage, and I'm claiming it back for the kingdom of God. Put that last slide up for me, Billy. I took this picture. It's a door. It's a little squatted on that screen, but you saw the video in the front end. All musicians, if you will. I took that picture myself. I'm actually a volunteer firefighter in Bradley County. We're doing a controlled burn, and I took a video of that, of that burn that day. And I was taking that video. Matter of fact, put that video up with the, with, with the, uh, with the audio. Can you do that, Billy? Don't play yet, guys. We're going to have a little audio. I want you to listen to the fire. Look at the top portion of the door. Pause it, Billy. Watch the door. You see the cross in the top of the door? There were no walls standing at this building any longer. There was only that door facing. And as you saw, that door facing began to fall apart. But let me tell you something. As I stood there with a bunch of firefighters who didn't know Jesus Christ, and I began to show them that video a little bit later, who had been on the inside of that fire trying to fight that fire from the inside to redeem that structure. I'm here to tell you, God wants to put you on the inside of the fire to redeem the structure, but He has a stronger fire than the opposition of the fire within. And it's called the fire of Jehovah, which is an all-consuming fire. And then look at the cross in the top of the door. I'm here to tell you this morning, when you face the fire of the demonic, there is always a cross between you and the consuming fire of the demonic. And that can be taking place in Alcoa, Maryville Church of God from this day forward. And you begin to redeem what the enemy has told you he has stolen that you'll never get access to again. Stand with me if you will. This becomes a very complicated moment for me most times. You know, I'm not one of these name and claim it preachers. I'm a claim it preacher. Don't misunderstand me. But I ain't a name it claim it preacher. Some people want to name it. Claim it. I just want to claim what he's already named. Because I don't know how good I am at naming and claiming it. But I know I'm real good at claiming what he's already named and what he's already promised and what he's already given and the authority he's already placed. 
I need two of you guys to come move this pulpit for me, Helen, because I'm not strong enough by myself. Come here, help me. Come here, help me. Just move that to the side for me real quick. This becomes a complicated moment for me because used to, I'd want to say, you know, if you need this, come on up. If you need that, come on up. You need this, come on up. You need that, come on up. Recently, I got to a place in my life that I just assumed that we all need. We all need. Your need might be more. Your need might be less. Your need might be more visible. Your need might be more hidden. But we all need. And the truth is, when we come to the promise of Jehovah with our need, He will meet with us. And when He meets with us, there is a redemptive transformation that He will do unlike anything else we have ever seen. So I'm going to invite this entire church to join us at the front. Come on. Come on. Just come on up. All of you, if you will, just come on up. Uh, we still got time. It's 12.01. You'll make it to lunch somewhere. It's 12.01. We got plenty of time. Come on up. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, God, help us right here. Hallelujah. 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 I want you to look at the screen. Look at that cross. It's pretty clear to me today, pretty clear to me today, that this is June 9, 2019, Sunday afternoon. Some of you white hairs, you've been here a long time. Some of you no hairs, you might have been here a long time or you might be just coming. I don't know. What I know is this. It don't really matter what got you here. What I'm concerned about is what's going to get you when you get out of the door. So you can go into that place of your homeland and reclaim it with the power of God. Now, I hope some of you will get to visit Honduras with Pastor Paul and Kim and their kids one day. And when you do, if you've ever been to one of these other cultures, what you're going to experience most of the time is prayer is a priority over everything else. It's easy for us to come to this altar and seeing whatever screen you're going to put on, or whatever words you're going to put on the screen. But I don't really want you to do that. Now I want these guys to fight the demonic for just a minute through their worship. Whatever they're going to sing, I don't know. We're going to fight the enemy. We're going to come against the enemy today. But what I want you to do is to simply begin to pray. As Nehemiah did. Nehemiah wept first. The king asked him what was wrong with him. And he answered the king after he had prayed. When you pray, God awakens within you the authority of heaven to begin to position you to sweep the room, to build the wall, to defend the place, to say to the enemy, you have no access. There's one last point in that chapter, you'll be able to, in that book as you go home and read it, you'll find out when they were rebuilding the wall, the enemy kind of came from different directions. So what Nehemiah said, is there's going to be a band of brothers. That'd be sisters too in this world. They got a trumpet. And when you're rebuilding your gate. And the enemy starts coming at you. I want you to sound that trumpet. And when you sound that trumpet. The rest of us. We are going to run to your rescue. And we're going to defeat the band of the enemy. Some of you. You've been building and building and building. 
And the enemy has been breaking and breaking and breaking. But I'm here to tell you today, if you'll sound the alarm and say, help me, help me, help me, God will send a band of the, hallelujah, of the angels of heaven to defeat the enemy and give you back the city. So if you're hungry today and you want to rebuild and you want to claim it and you want to take it back and you want to sound the alarm, throw your hands in the air with me right here, unashamed, right now. Hallelujah. They're going to sing. I want you to pray. It just gets uncomfortable. I'm going to wait. <laughs> I'm accustomed to waiting. I'm going to wait. And I want to begin to hear this church, this family, this group of people to begin to audibly, unashamed, out loud, begin to pray and claim your city back for the kingdom of God. Go. Begin to pray right now. Begin to pray. Go. 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 Hallelujah. Go. Go. Cry it out to heaven. Cry it out to heaven this morning. Cry it out to heaven this morning. 